In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary, we don't know the contrast organic. All right, folks, we're back. Meditations and Molotovs. I am your host, Vince Emanuel. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network, PRN.FM. You can find us here every Monday, 2 p.m. New York time. That's 11 a.m. for our West Coast brothers and sisters. Well, plenty of stuff happening today or this week or the last couple of weeks. Last week I had on the program that podcast is up so you can check that out just go to google press i i guess i should have the actual website information i'll have that the next program i'll start posting them too people on social media have asked if i could start sharing the podcast after the program usually i just promote the program the morning of and then sometimes in between and then other times too if i'm writing an article or whatever anyway too much self-promotion is not a good thing. And that's tough. You know, so if you do things individually, see, this is the thing that's really tough. Because if you're trying to do, like, if you're a writer, so I write articles. Okay. So you put the article out there. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I would write, I could start writing articles so there's under symptoms. I don't give a shit for any of the accolades. I'm not going to get any awards for writing about how we need to tear down capitalism and come up with alternative institutions. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I surely don't do it for the money because it's very little money. As I think anyone who writes understands uh, in that world, unless you work for the New York Times or the Washington Post. Although I guess they're starting to get a lot of their content for free. Anyway, the point is, I'll start promoting the program more often, and I will make sure to, con- to post the actual podcast once they're done instead of just promoting the show prior to the live program. Let's see here. If there's if the quality doesn't get better, then I'm going to take a short break and we'll cut back in. And I'll just simply call the number. Uh, we'll go for another couple minutes and see. I'm getting a couple messages from folks. Okay. Obviously, we're living in serious times. This is the issue. Okay, these, these the times we're living in now, at least as far as I can tell, and as far as the organizers I speak with, and there's dozens on a regular basis that I talk with, share ideas with, and so on. Cannot think of another period that was as critical as this period. And see, this is part of what I'm part of what I was talking to people about in terms of strategic voting. Came up in a, I try and spend as little time as possible on social media. What I'm also finding is that a lot of people only engage through social media. So I'm trying to like the forums that people add me to in groups. I've been trying to sort of participate more in those groups. Because I think that people use those groups as their primary 
information. And if that's the case and I can help her add something to the conversation or bring up points that other people aren't making, then I'll do so. Otherwise, again, I have no interest in just listening to my voice or just writing things just to write just for, so people can listen to me. I mean, almost everything I say or write politically is the culmination of 10 years of conversations, actions, reflections, writings, um, and interactions with other activists and organizers. This is not me sitting at home by myself thinking of ideas or just coming up with bullshit to talk about. I go to events, participate in events, have, have organized events, the conferences and so on and so on, actions and meetings and town councils, city councils all over the country for 10 years. So anything that I'm writing or anything that I'm saying on this program is essentially the culmination of all of those conversations. This is older mentors, people like Kim Sipes, for instance, uh, all the way to people like Christian Parenti, who I mentioned today, and he just recently wrote an article. I think it's called Listening to Trump. People should definitely check it out. Just Google Trump and Christian Parenti, and it will come up. All the way to people like Samantha in Australia, Roberto in Chicago, Michael in Boston, Greg in Venezuela. There are several people that I look to for advice and mentorship constantly. And constantly, you know, asking them what, you know, have, for, for new insights and, and then and vice versa, them learning from me. You know, and that's, that's something that I also appreciate. And so in this serious time that we're in right now, fascism is on the rise. If people can call it anything they want. You know, fascism isn't burning people, incinerating people after putting them on train cars. That's not what, so when people hear fascism, and that's Nazism, by the way, and there are differences, and those kinds of differences should be talked about as well. Now, I don't have the information in front of me, nor do I have the expertise to go into what are the specific differences of those political programs and ideologies. But those things are important. And that's why we need to use this term. The more we say, oh, it's the Republicans that are the problem. No, it's not the Republicans. It's a specific type of ideology and a political program and political, economic, military institutions that continue to get worse and worse, whether that be our capitalist system a capitalist system many people refer to as globalization, a capitalist system many people refer to as finance capitalism. Some people call it post-production capitalism. Some people call it neoliberalism. Uh, some people call it the financialization of the economy. There are a million different ways for people to understand the economy. That's just one example. Fascism would be another example. But the serious times that we're living in should be referred to as such, and I think language matters. If you want to call it something different, that's fine. But I think that whatever you do call what's happening right now, it should represent the gravity of the situation. Okay, so bringing this back to strategic voting, none of the activists, organizers, or intellectuals that I know 
and who I pay attention to and who I think are the most serious of the bunch. Because there's all kinds of activists out there. It's all kinds of organizers. There's all kinds of so-called progressives and leftists and so on and so on. All kinds of folks. But the ones that I've been paying attention to, the ones who've been essentially correct for many, many decades, have been correct since I've been engaged, are the people like Noam Chomsky, the people like Howard Zinn, not the people, Vandana Shiva, I would add to that list, Francis Fox Piven. These are very serious people. There's also others, and I don't take their opinions, as I mentioned to someone the other day, any more seriously or less seriously than I do my friend Roberto or Samantha's opinion. So all of these opinions hold equal weight if you're serious and if you've been involved with serious left-wing politics. People like Robert Reich and all the Reich, however the hell you pronounce that, that ain't cutting it, folks. That is not cutting it. Tom Hartman isn't cutting it. Ed Schultz isn't cutting it. All of this bullshit that people have been filling their heads with, all these, and again, another thing that I think we'll probably have to question is the concept of progressivism. That concept has to be challenged. I don't know. I didn't start hearing about so-called progressives until Bernie Sanders came on the scene. I know that the concept has been around. I know people have referred to themselves as progressives. I get it. But I'm not a progressive. I'm a leftist. I'm an anti-capitalist. If we, wanted to, if we want to distill that political ideology down to its core, I am an anti-capitalist. I don't believe that everything should be put on the market, and I don't believe that we can commodify everything, and I don't believe in this sort of hyper-materialistic worldview. I don't believe that we're all just a bunch of individuals. And this, my friends, was Marx's greatest contribution to sociology and to history. He got it. He got that we were groups of people who hold power, varying levels of power, but that people organize themselves into groups, and through those groups they exercise their power, and power is what matters. So when I hear someone like Robert Reich say, oh, we should, you know, the Democratic Party has lost its soul, I would like to ask Robert, but he's a liberal. See here, going back, Robert Reich is a liberal. I am not a liberal. So when people say, Vince, my God, how can you say this about Robert Reich? He's a good man. He's, he's, he's a good man for you because you don't want to think about things. If, see, this is easy stuff, folks. This is why so many people fall into this. It's like Bernie Sanders' politics. Bernie's politics were easy politics to understand. It's a good gateway for people to get into politics outside of just status quo uh, sort of forms of political organization. Like Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, I would consider liberal, neoliberal status quo. Paul Krugman, liberal, neoliberal status quo. Rachel Maddow, so on and so forth. And that stuff's fine if you're a kid. And that stuff's fine if you're in college and you're just learning about stuff. And that stuff's fine if you're an, an adult and you're just getting engaged with political movements, political ideas. But you have to challenge yourself, intellectually challenge yourself, and read about history 
and read about ideology and read about political movements throughout history, how they have functioned, why they've been successful, how they haven't been successful. Read about revolutionary movements around the world. If indeed what you're interested in. See, the big task under Trump is going to be finding who is interested in radical politics and who's interested in more of the same old bullshit. So for the people who are saying, oh, Bernie Sanders 2020, that's over with, folks. Bernie Sanders in 2016 was inadequate. The kind of politics Bernie brought to the table in 2016 is the sort of politics we required, we meaning those of us in the United States and around the world, 30, 40 years ago. If there were truly successful political, social, cultural movements in the 1960s, they would have led to something like Bernie Sanders. The best we got was Jimmy Carter. Then after Jimmy Carter, because he's a Republican light, oh, and, you know, ideologically, again, this makes sense if you understand what liberalism is all about. The differences in the continuity between liberalism and conservatism and so on. But that led to eight years of Ronald Reagan. And under eight, well, let's back up, eight years of Nixon. And people thought, oh, you know what? Nixon's going to be great for social movements. Nixon's going to be great for political. Oh, and how did that work out for the radical political movements that existed at the time? Ask Black Panthers. Ask students for a democratic society. Ask the war movement. Ask the Did Nixon administration result in better organizing and better left-wing institutions, liberal progressive institutions? I don't think so. That same is true in 1980. No, eight years of Reagan, this will bring about the real change that we need. Finally, Americans will snap out of it because we've got as bad as Ronnie Reagan in office, and now eight years of Reagan, no doubt that's going to lead to something great, like what, four years of Bush or another eight years of neoliberal piece of shit, Bill Clinton? And then, oh, eight years of George Bush. After eight years of George Bush, that's going to lead to something really great, no matter what. That, that's going to light a fire under people's asses, and then they're going to get involved, and then we're going to be on the verge of a revolution. I don't think so. After eight years of George Bush, arguably one of the worst, if not the worst, administration in the history of the United States, what do we get? We got Obama, a lesser Jimmy Carter. And now, with Trump in office, I'm hearing the same bullshit from the same people. Oh, now it's time again. We have to go and find the soul of the Democratic Party, and let's redirect everyone's efforts back into races. I am here to tell you, folks, 2018, fucking forget about it. You are out of your fucking minds if you think the Democrats are going to do shit by 2018. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this, that half of the people I know, and I guarantee they're more committed than most of the people out there who call themselves Democrats and liberals, we are not going to help you get elected. If you identify as a Democrat from here on out, okay, now to back up, will I walk into the voting booth and press 
your name or the button that says your last name and a D next to it because strategically it makes sense as we're going to get to here? Sure. Am I going to knock on one door, hand out one flyer, make one phone call, or donate $1 to your organization or campaign? Forget about it. And I'm going to actively encourage other people to spend their time on other forms of activism. Now, if you're interested in creating independent political organizations, if you're, in, if you're interested in running for office and you run as an independent, you should, with progressive, so-called progressive left-wing values, you should have the support from everyone who considers themselves a liberal activist, progressive, left-wing activist, however people want to refer to themselves. You should have our support, and you will have our support. But anyone who thinks for a moment that the people who brought you Occupy, which, by the way, you wouldn't have Bernie Sanders without Occupy. So all you liberals and progressives had better pull your heads out of your asses. Because if you think that would have happened without the left actually getting in the streets and making this an issue, and for those who have short memories or for those who weren't involved with actual political movements back then, let me refresh your memory real quick. In 2010... When the Tea Party came into office, the dominant conversation was about austerity. Barack Obama was having that conversation. The unions were capitulating to that conversation. All of liberal groups were capitulating. And so is all of the liberal media heroes that just now in 2016 people are realizing are full of shit on CNN and MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, and so on. Some of us have understood this for years it's time to pay attention, and it's time to listen. You see, folks, one of the things I told a friend today is that I, I feel more confident now than ever. And I'm seeing this same confidence from people I know who are, are very serious activists, very serious thinkers. And that has nothing to do with formal education or your class background or anything like that. That's just the people who have been willing to look reality square in the eyes and understand it for what it is. So I have been feeling uber confident since the election. Why? Well, because a lot of what I've been saying and a lot of what radicals have been saying for many, many years now is finally starting to happen. And it's starting to play itself out in very interesting ways. The first way this played itself out was, of course, Bernie Sanders' run as a Democrat. Now, I actually broke with a lot of my radical friends on that issue. I, whereas a lot of my left-wing radical friends were, to hell with Bernie Sanders, his foreign policy is terrible, his domestic policy is status quo European politics, status quo Australian politics, um, status quo populist Latin American politics. Nothing special about Bernie Sanders. Certainly nothing special about any of his politics. People who think that there's something special about Bernie Sanders and his politics need to spend more time reading and thinking and traveling. That's what I suggest. And since Bernie Sanders supporters are a little better, a little more well-off than the average person, uh, I suggest you spend that extra money and stop going to sports games or whatever the hell it is you do with your time and start traveling abroad. Start talking to political movements and people outside of the United States so you can see the limited scope and the limited politics that somebody like Bernie Sanders offers. So I kind of, 
for people who are saying, oh, my God, I had to hold my nose to vote for Hillary Clinton, in a lot of ways, I had to hold my nose to vote for Bernie Sanders, someone who wholeheartedly buys into the concept of American exceptionalism, someone who throughout his career has had very little to say about American empire. In fact, here I would give much more credit to someone like Dennis Kucinich, who's at least had the guts and the courage to come out over the years and even when he was in office and make a really substantial critique of American exceptionalism and American empire. Hell, for all the wrong reasons, I give Ron Paul more credit. Well, I give Ron Paul more credit than Bernie Sanders. His foreign policy is better just for all the wrong reasons, operating through the wrong principles. But a lot of my left-wing friends, they didn't want to support Bernie. And I said, you know what? This is a great organizing opportunity. I've seen a lot of interesting things happen under Obama. We've had the Occupy movement. We've had the Fight for 15 campaign. We've had the occupation in Madison, Wisconsin, which brought together a lot of union folks, a lot of people from union backgrounds who are looking to get more involved and I think who are starting to understand that the Democratic Party really sold them down the river. And speaking of that occupation, and speaking of the sort of energy suck that is the Democratic Party, I, who remembers that? I'm sure there's many people who are listening who remember that. They remember the occupation. What was it, 2011? Occupy came around in 2012. The first occupation, people have to remember, this was in February of 2011. This was... You know, uh, I want to say it was right around Valentine's Day. There was tons of snow everywhere. It was cold as snow. 120,000 people in Madison, Wisconsin, a state that Trump won. And what did the de- – at first it was very organic. So it started with graduate students. So first it was graduate students who occupied the rotunda in the Wisconsin state – you know, Capitol building. And then, after that, every single major liberal organization moved in and tried to suck up the energy. The scumbag Jimmy Hoffa Jr. stopped in with the Teamsters and gigantic buses with Teamster signs on it and semi-trailers. The major unions moved in. Jesse Jackson came. Oh, yeah, the Democrats, Ed Schultz. And at first people thought, oh, this is great. Ed Schultz has given these people uh, coverage. And that was good. You know, at the time it was good. I think Ed's politics have gotten a little better since then. And then the Democrats move in. And what did they do with all that energy? They take all of that energy and they funnel it into a recall, a failed recall campaign. Because they were trying to run, what the hell is his name? He was a former mayor in, in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Centrist Democrat, no different than, say, a Bill Clinton. So they tried to run Bill Clinton light against Scott Walker. And what happened, folks? Scott Walker whooped his ass. That was after 120,000 people converged in Madison. All of that energy shot. Then Occupy comes in 2012, and as I mentioned since then, Fight for 15, immigrants' rights movements have really sprouted up, and of course, 
without question, one of the most important movements, one of the most important moments, organizations, sort of ongoing, I don't know how, how you would refer to it other than, say, a movement or movements, but, the, you know, Black Lives Matter. And with all of that, I figured, you know, I think the left should support Bernie because this is going to be a good opportunity to turn people on to left-wing politics. Now, from the very beginning, people have to remember, there were many of us who tried to warn a lot of Bernie supporters. Nobody wanted to listen. Bernie supporters didn't want to hear it. And if you're a Bernie supporter out there, you have to be honest with yourself and come to this come to grips with the fact that you didn't want to face reality. A lot of us tried to tell you during the primary process when Bernie decided to run as a Democrat that he was just he was simply being a sheepdog. We knew what his role was. His role had been played before by many, many, many different people, including Jesse Jackson, Ted Kennedy, Kucinich, so on and so forth. The Democrats have always understood that they're going to run, in the end, centrist candidates. But they need sort of the progressive wing of the party to come along. And so they throw the progressive wing a bone like Bernie and they say, hey, you know, I mean, everybody knew. I mean, if you don't think, okay, let's back up here. If you are naive enough to not think that Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton had an agreement before the election that, hey, I'm not going to fight you. We're not going to take this to court. We're not going to question the superdelegates. We'll, we'll have a rough campaign, but at the end of the day, I am going to back you as the Democratic Party nominee when or if, but really when you're, you win that nomination. Anyone who thinks that wasn't the case hasn't spent much time in political circles, and they certainly haven't spent much time in the halls of power. And that doesn't have to be just political power. That could be a small business to a corporation, to an academic institution. That's how power operates. And so at that time, people didn't want to listen, and that was fine. I didn't think it was important to try and prove a point. I figured the moment these issues were so important, you can't process them in such a, I think, petty, subjective manner. These issues are too important. So I figured, you know what, all right, I'll make the point. And I made the point. I said, look, I think Bernie running as a Democrat, there's probably benefits to this. And we know what the benefits are, obviously, exposure, credibility, and so on. But there's also disadvantages. And as the campaign went on, of course, by the time it was down to Trump and Clinton, it became quite obvious that Sanders actually had a chance, actually had a chance to garner the 270 electoral votes that he needed. Now, there were people earlier on in the campaign arguing for him to run, but at that time, after I think about a year of campaigning as a Democrat, it didn't make much sense because, as people now know who didn't know before, if someone doesn't reach the 270 threshold in terms of electoral votes, then that goes back down to the uh, House of Representatives. I don't know if it goes to the Senate or not. Nonetheless, the Republicans control the House, and we know what the result would have been. Well, I guess what the result ended up being anyway, which is a Trump presidency. So we encourage people to run for Bernie's campaign or encourage people to participate in Bernie's campaign because it was a great organizing opportunity. Of course you should meet like-minded people. But during that process, there was also... I've seen this a lot with political movements and I've seen this a lot with electoral politics and it's really bothersome. 
you know, so people get involved with these movements and they become so emotionally involved. I mean, it's T-shirts, stickers, hats, the whole deal. And it's just a little absurd. And it's a little over the top and it's a little cultish and it's a little weird for my liking, to be honest with you. And part of the problem here was that people didn't agree upon a set of values or a political vision. What they agreed upon was an individual, a symbol, which is quite appropriate for this society. It's a lack of content. They liked Bernie Sanders, the individual. There was never really a seer. I never went, and I went to dozens of events of Bernie Sanders events throughout the electoral you know, campaign, including knocking on doors, including making phone calls and donating money and all the rest. More so than I had ever participated in an electoral campaign. At least the national one. But those limitations became very clear. I mean, nobody wanted to have a critical conversation. So if you tried to talk to Bernie supporters about why there was no support among African-American community, why there was so little support in other communities of color, that conversation was quickly shunned or quickly moved to the side. And from the top down, the campaign really neglected certain areas. So we never went to Gary, Indiana, which is 85% black. We never brought that message there because their campaign was run by a bunch of white yuppie types. These are the types who watch people like Rachel Maddow. These are the types who who uh, take jobs with NGOs making six figures a year. These are the types who went to Ivy League schools. They went to private high schools. They grew up with this sort of pompous, social democratic, liberal ideology. And this was a problem, and it showed during the campaign. Huge disconnect between the, the people who called themselves Bernie Sanders supporters and black and brown communities. Huge disconnects. And those those disconnects and those, that separation remains today. That's not just something that's unique to the Sanders campaign. That's something that's unique to many, many progressive and left organizations. So this is a problem, a problem we should talk about. But in order to have these serious conversations, in order to direct people's energy back into serious forms of activism, we have to avoid these emotional outbursts where people are so emotionally tied to a certain idea. So when, okay, so then let me follow this story to its end. When Bernie didn't get the nomination, his support, I mean, there were people crying and losing their minds. I mean, they, they really thought by the time, there were still a significant number of Sanders supporters who actually thought, even by the time the convention was here, that there was a chance Bernie was going to win. It's cr- that kind of stuff, folks, we have, to re- we have to get past that kind of shit. If we don't get past that kind of sort of childish thinking, if we don't get past that level of naivety, do not expect to be successful and expect to continue to lose, in fact. I thought that was utterly silly. And then Bernie, like every other serious leftist or serious political activist I know, advocated that people vote for Hillary Clinton because, of course, not only was that probably part of the political deal they made prior, but I'm assuming that kind of aligns with Bernie's sense of you know, strategic thinking, which I'm assuming in his mind 
one of the reasons why he ran as a Democrat. Sort of the opposite strategic angle of someone like Donald Trump, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, has never been a Republican, but ran as a Republican. And we have people like Noam Chomsky, who, of course, advocated that people vote for Hillary Clinton. You see, folks, once again, I don't know an environmental activist, a union organizer, a community organizer, anyone who organizes with unions, anyone who organizes with immigrants. And here I'm talking about organizers. I'm not talking about people who go to events maybe once a week or what. I'm talking about people who day in, day out organize communities, groups of people, building political power. None of those people including the most serious intellectuals in this country, left-wing intellectuals, including all of my friends overseas and the vast majority of people who consider themselves on the left overseas, including people in Latin America who live in quasi-revolutionary states. None of those people not a single one of them would rather be organizing under Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton. This is a lesson to be learned, folks. It's not about placing blame on people. It's over with now. And I actually don't think Jill Stein supporters of the left have enough power to really swing the election, at least not this time anyway. But the point is, if you want groups to take you seriously, if you want people to take you seriously, you have to be consistent, not only in your values and principles, but in the fact that you're willing to think strategically and put aside your emotional bullshit. No one taught the Clintons a lesson. So just stop with that kind of shit. If you think for a second that you taught Hillary Clinton a lesson, you're out of your mind. Is her ego a little bruised? Sure. Is she probably a little upset that her and Bill don't get to also, you know, hang out in the White House, uh, express those you know, their vision within that, those hall of power, I mean, they're, of course, so powerful people, but there's nothing like being in the White House. Her ego's a little bruised. But don't get it twisted. We don't have the power. So don't get this twisted where people think, oh, well, we taught Hillary Clinton a lesson. No, you taught yourself a lesson. And the lesson people should have learned is that we don't have the power at all so we have to think extremely strategically. When you have a ton of power, this could be anywhere, in a relationship, in politics, in sports, anywhere. If you have extreme power, the technique, the strategy, the tactics aren't as important. Jiu-Jitsu is a perfect example. If you're 270 pound brick shit house, you don't have to think strategically when you go up against me. I'm 175 pounds, five foot nine. You don't have to use the correct techniques. You don't have to go about, say, being in, in the most disciplined manner possible when we're grappling or fighting. You can use brute strength, you can use your power. For me, on the other hand, if I'm 100 pounds lighter than the person I'm grappling, and if I've been involved for half as much time as they have, I need to think as strategically as possible, and I need to use 
my techniques perfectly. The same is true in politics or relationships. If you're the person in the relationship with a lot of power, you can afford to be unstrategic. If you're a political organization that has a ton of power, like the Democratic Party, you can you can fuck up elections like you did in 2016. And it's not a big deal because you have all the power. So, of course, people are going to have to run back to the Democrats in 2018. Why? Because people who are thinking outside of that scope, excuse me, leftists, progressives, organizers, and so on, it's going to take us longer than two years to build an alternative to the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party understands that. And so those of us who are looking for alternatives, we have to think extremely strategically. We have to think about the tactics we're doing and using to achieve those go- the goals. But we have to agree first on the goals and the vision. And this brings me to local organizing. You know, we've had good events. There was, we had a good event the other day. But they have to be more focused events. It can't just be people getting together and bullshitting over a cup of coffee. You have to go to the people, and I was approached by several people after the event that we held here locally. So a group, I want to say, what was it, like 15, 18, 20 people, five people, together on a Sunday, small town, Indiana, 14,000 people in the town of Chesterton, got together for a meeting, progressive people. But there was, you know, and it was an initial meeting, so of course you have to take that into account. So it was lightly structured. But I guarantee, well, I know just from listening to people there, number one, there's a serious lack of experience, and that's fine. I mean, we want everyone to be involved. We want everyone or anyone who identifies with certain values. But again, that brings me to the point here. We don't know what values we identify with. So you're going to have ongoing conflicts in these organizations until people can come to terms with what they value and what their vision is and what goals they want to achieve through those values vision. There's people sitting at a table, people sitting around at a meeting have to come to terms with that or there will be conflicts in the future and the groups will either not grow or they will remain ineffective and they will eventually. There might be an ebb and flow, people coming and going and so on, but actually build an ongoing organization to expand the influence of that organization to bring more people into the and to make it in the little body you have to first agree on a series of tools and values that will help guide and create your vision and your goal for the organization most people don't have time or if they do have time politics isn't the most important thing in their life I would argue that needs to be more important in people's lives. And that's part of sort of mentally preparing for fascism. The days of, oh, you know, politics, yeah, too much for me. Oh, it's just so depressing. Oh, it's just so stressful. Yeah, welcome to reality, folks. Reality is stressful. Reality is complicated. Reality is frustrating. So get your mind and your emotions in order. Because what Donald Trump 
and Jeff Sessions and Mike Pence and Flynn and potentially Carl Mattis, who's lunatic, Mitt Romney. What we're bringing to the table and what GOP is going for the next two years is going to be beyond, I can see this just from talking to people, it's going to be far beyond what average progressives, liberals, and leftists are ready for. I can see that just from the commentary. I can see that just from the conversations I'm having with people who aren't taking this as seriously as they should. They didn't take it seriously during the primaries, so it's not surprising that people aren't taking it as seriously as they should now. The problem is now uh, they are, uh, Trump is in power. So one of the reflections from local meetings, I'm getting a message that's a little chubby. If it continues to be chubby, I'm going to go for a couple more minutes, and if not, we'll take a short break and I'll come back. But for the local meetings that I've been seeing, great, more people coming out. I mean, this is amazing. This is good news for everyone. We want more and more people to come out. But that's going to quickly end for the people who aren't just interested in sitting around and bullshitting with each other. There needs to be serious political program. And I'm not talking about from a necessarily from this, from some kind of dogmatic uh, ideological perspective, but there needs to be political education and political program and primarily political education because I can see that people are vastly undereducated. And again, that's not formal education. That's political education. My, my first observations going to a lot of local political meetings, number one, people are socially awkward. That's number one. People don't know how to sit down with strangers and bullshit about life, politics, whatever. Number two, people are vastly undereducated. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand what they are. They don't understand what they represent. They don't understand if you were to ask people, what are the values? What is, it, what is your vision? What kind of things do we want? Other than just simple talking points. Well, we want health care, living wage jobs. No, we need people to think more sophisticated than that. And that's why people like Robert Reich and Bernie Sanders don't cut it. They're not going to add to that sophistication. They're only going to bring you so far, then it's going to be up to you and your friends to take you further. Read more challenging texts. Read more challenging books. If you're not reading books on a regular basis, you have no business being a political organizer. If you're not reading books on a regular basis, I would argue you have no business being a political activist. This is part of the this is it's like you know bringing this back to to athletics. This is again no different. You're not going to you know, people don't just walk into jujitsu practice and say you know I'm 150 pounds overweight. I feel like being in jujitsu. Doesn't work that way. You have to eat clean. You can't be drunk all the time. You can't be drinking all the time. You can't be junk food all the time. You can't gain extra 23rd pound and think that you're going to be able to walk back into the gym and not want to collapse after five or 10 minutes of sparring. And it's the same with politics. You can't consume bullshit all week, watch CNN and listen to NPR, and then expect to come to a meeting with people like myself, other people who are reading books, articles, challenging ourselves, having conversations with other activists who are really trying to think about these issues on a very, I think, sophisticated, nuanced, in a serious way and expect to have a conversation and not even feel intimidated or B, feel like someone's talking down to you. 
That's not how it works. I'm glad that people are finally starting to realize that politics is a 165 24-7 endeavor. Again, welcome to reality. Politics isn't just every two years. It's not every four years. People need to settle in mentally, emotionally, intellectually, physically. Get themselves prepared to do this on a regular and sustainable fashion. One of the things I noticed in the Bush years was people were very well, – they a lot of things in an unsustainable way, and a lot of people went out and went away. I met a lot of activists and people who are out there listening to this. I'm sure you've seen it over the years, and you'll see it under administration. A lot of people burn out and fade away, never to return. So I can't even begin to start counting or to name you the amount of people who I met during the Bush administration doing activist work who just never showed up again. Or they went on to do what people from the 60s did, which is why I have no faith in this generational argumentative bullshit. Like, oh, when well, the millennial in power, everything will change in your mind. The same thing happened. I watched the same thing happen. Happened to the 60s generation. I gave up. It's that. I mean, yeah, okay, a lot of people from the 60s generation were beat down. Yes, yeah, so the FBI and COINTELPRO and on and on and on. But if we're making excuses, the fact of the matter is a lot of people went on what Americans do, which is get jobs, start families, buy a house, get a couple of cars, get a dog, put a fence around your house, and that's it. Mow your grass, watch sports on the weekend. That's it. So just let's stop bullshitting each other. We're not going to – the big difference I see also – this is jumping around a little bit, but the difference I see also with the 60s and now is there's virtually nothing interesting happening culturally now. I mean, we don't even have honest conversations about whether or not people should be having kids at a time when the environment is destroyed. We don't have, I mean, we don't have uh, cult music acts. We don't have people doing drugs, having parties, having interesting conversations, passing around literature, creating poetry, creating drama, participating in theater, theater and otherwise. I just see yeah, it. I utter lack of creativity on the left. Totally uncreative, totally unfun, just boring, sort of you know, a lot of geeks involved, lot of, just a lot of people that it's just not, I'm sorry, but it's not fun to be a part of the modern left. It's just not. We need all of that. You know, when people, so anyway, get to my point about generations disappearing, a lot of people from the Bush years, that's what happened. Got married, had kids. On a job, maybe they work for an NGO, some kind of liberal NGO, so they can tell themselves that they're also doing activism while making a good six-figure salary and hanging out with all their bourgeois friends. That's cute, too. I, I, I mean, in a serious way, they, they went home. <laughs> they're gone. So you'll notice that now. Well, we can't have that. You'll notice that happening. So people who are younger out there, you'll notice people just start dropping off and dropping off. They're not going to be involved. It takes a serious level of discipline and commitment. And you have to prioritize what's more important. Creating a better future for ourselves, for the living world, for people who live around the planet. Since we live in the most powerful nation and military empire in the history of the world, we have a special responsibility even more so than other human beings on the planet. 
we need to we need serious activists and serious movements. And one of the reasons why places like Northwest Indiana and other regions outside of major metropolitan areas, same in New York or LA, one of the reasons among socioeconomic realities, political economy, and so on, but one of the other major reasons that areas like Northwest Indiana are so far behind culturally, socially, politically, in a place like Chicago, it's because people in Northwest Indiana settle for less, constantly settle for less, and they don't challenge themselves. And they're not interested in challenging themselves. I can see this very clearly when talking with some folks who are involved locally. What people are doing, it's interesting, and it's good, and it's better than not doing anything, but it's not going to cut it. People have to step it up a notch. They have to teach each other and empower each other with the skills that are necessary for being a political activist or a protester. And I delineate between the three. We could talk about that another time. And the same, not to get too powerful in Northwest Indiana, folks, it's the same in the city. I go to in the city all the time. Talk to friends who organize in the city all the time. It's the same thing. There are very few groups and very few individuals who are serious, number one, who have influence, number two, and who are committed, number three, who are actually looking at alternatives. Look at how long the Democratic Party has ravaged and dominated politics in a city like Chicago. So if you're a young person of color, if you're a young white progressive activist, say a Bernie supporter, you supported Chewy Garcia, whatever, the, the Democratic Party in Chicago doesn't represent your interests. They are the primary enemy of most progressives and left-wing activists in urban centers around the United States. The last eight years have been the primary enemy of people living abroad, being hit by drone strikes and special forces operations in places ranging from Yemen and Somalia to Syria and Afghanistan. And I bring this back to Robert Reich's ridiculous article about finding the soul of the Democratic Party. Why didn't the Democratic Party have a soul? Is it back when FDR was putting former members of the KKK in appointed positions? Or was it when LBJ was referring to black people as niggers in the early 1960s? Or was it the Democratic Party under JFK and LBJ that got us into Vietnam in a serious way? Or was it the Democratic Party in the 1990s that slashed welfare and helped create the prison industrial complex today that today still exists and is even more vicious and ruthless? Or was it the Democratic Party under Obama that bailed out the bankers and drones struck people around the globe for eight years and stripped rights, civil liberties, and went after whistleblowers? Was it that Democratic Party? See... There is no soul to the Democratic Party. So just stop this. <laughs> just stop. 
people need to think creative. They need to, in order, I think the issue here for a lot of people is to understand the gravity of the situation. So the primary three problems I see with activism right now, number one, most people don't understand the gravity of the situation. They understand ecologically where we're at in the global context because a lot of activists process things solely through the scope of what's happening in America. There is no way to understand Donald Trump without also understanding authoritarian neo-fascist movements in places like France, Greece, Australia, and Great Britain, Japan, and so on. So we have to expand the worldview of many activists. We get them to think in an international context constantly. And we need them to understand through political education how serious the situation is, not only ecologically speaking, but the fact that global capitalism is failing, the fact that our old institutions, like the basic concept of a state apparatus, no longer functions on behalf of most people. And as I first mentioned, the fact that the planet is literally dying. Now, I don't, that's a tough one, too, because you don't want to play a politics of fear. You don't want to try and scare the shit out of people just to get them involved. At the same time, people have to understand what the disease is if they want to be a part of treatment. So if you don't understand the problem, I don't understand. I, well, I'm guaranteeing you that you will not find any kind of a solution. So preparing for fascism, having serious activists who are committed and who can, which brings me to my second point, develop a coherent vision and values that got that vision. Otherwise, it's going to be an incoherent, jumbled mess of people operating on their own little islands, trying to accomplish a lot with very little, and in the end, accomplishing virtually nothing. That's what I've seen. For 10 years, globally, nationally, regionally, and locally, disparate groups with various forms of power, various levels of power, not really gaining in strength or momentum, but kind of either staying or falling to the wayside. No coherent vision, no coherent goals, and definitely no coherent strategy or tactics to achieve what doesn't exist, which is a coherent vision and objectives. Those things have to be intentionally developed. They're not going to be developed on their own. And there are people out there that can help people do that. There are people out there who can help you do that. Reach out and find them. There are organizers who put on workshops around this country. There are ways to run campaigns. It's not to say that you can't add or subtract or obviously it's going to have to fit to your particular circumstances and context wherever you're located, so on. All of that goes without saying. But there are people out there who do this work. I don't mean to say for a living as in for money, but they do this work regularly. This is their life. This is this work. And those are the kind of people who need to be brought into the mix. There's so much knowledge out there. So much, and there's so much experience out there that's not being tapped. And I see it locally. This isn't me. I'm saying me. I'm saying it's all kinds of other people. I mean, including myself, but many other people too. There's 
everyone from college professors to organizers, activists, and I mean, people who have been around, who have been doing work, who have a lot of really important insights. That's going to require that people put their egos aside. It's going to require people to sort of look into the mirror and realize, hey, whatever I've been doing, whatever I've been thinking, whatever I've been reading, whatever I've been assuming, it's wrong. It's not working. We've got fascism now. We've got Donald Trump, reality TV star, rape, rapist, fucking pumpkin-looking dude. This is the president of the United States right now. And he's surrounding himself with the most reactionary right-wing lunatics the world has ever seen in this level of power. So, it's time to get serious, folks. It's time to develop serious movements, serious activists that can deal with fascism. I'm your host, Vincent Manuelli. This is the Progressive Radio Network. You're listening to Meditations and Molotovs, where you can find us every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary. We don't know the contrast organic. Organic mechanics. Organic mechanics.